0: Hi,
1: and welcome to today's meeting of Book Hoarders Anonymous. Let's all begin by introducing ourselves. Hi, I'm Shannon, and I'm a book hoarder. Hi, Hi, Shannon. Shannon.
0: Hi, I'm Erin, and I'm a book hoarder. Hi, Hi, Erin. everyone and welcome to book hoarders this is episode number 17 oh wow yeah i believe it is number 17 uh for look October. at us go exactly <laughs> look at us go and this is Aaron, and this is shannon
1: we're and here to tell you about some books and discuss with
0: you um dark angel by meredith Ann pierce that yeah. was our homework for last month That was our homework and very imaginative sci-fi fantasy, mostly fantasy, I think it was, and we will get to that in a little while. Um, But first, let's talk about what we read this month. And Shannon, you've got, you um, lit up Twitter by saying you had some gushing to do. (laughs) I did. This last month has been really hard on me, reading-wise.
1: For some reason, I just haven't been able to... um, to focus on very much of anything in fact like when it came time to reading to to read the book for the podcast I was I kind of had to do a little um okay it's time to get this going you know sort of thing in my head and and I'm not sure why that is except that I'd been reading a lot this year and so I guess it was <laughs> about time for me to not know what I was going to read but anyway so after I finished that. Um, A book came, I had pre-ordered a book on Amazon.com through the Kindle app on my phone. Um, And, and that, and, and like they, you know, I got the little notification that said, oh, your book has arrived. And I said, oh, I forgot I ordered this. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And the book is, the book was called Love Lessons. And the author is Heidi Cullinan. Um, And it is a college romance and it is between two guys, and <laughs> it, it was very sweet. I mean, it like it it was not. Um, it like I I feel like it would have worked just as well if if it had been like it was the kind of romance you might have read between like two straight people. It wasn't like it was any more explicit than than that would have been. It's just that these two characters happened to be gay, right? <laughs> and it was adorable. Oh, um, the the premise is that. Um, due to some some pretty like i don't know if i quite buy like the premise but whatever like the uh, like the author had to do whatever she had to do to finagle it so that walter one of the, the boys who's a bit of a player um mm-hmm. had to move back to the dorms and um as, as a junior in college and he ends up rooming with this freshman um, in like the jock dorm and, uh, this, this freshman is, is a, a newly, um, newly out, uh, gay boy coming, you know, from a small town to this, like to this college. And, um, like, and, and the boy's name is Kelly and, and, and like, it, it's very like they, they become friends and, and Walter is kind of there for Kelly to show him the ropes and, and, um, it sort of takes them a while and eventually they get to be like more than, than friends. And then like, like then we learn a little bit more about like what makes Walter the way he is. And, and so it's like, it's a very like for a romance, um, it worked really well for me because both of the characters had some really deep seated emotional stuff that they had to deal with. Um, <clears throat> you know kelly is just sort of this awkward shy small town hopeless romantic um, but like walter has some serious abandonment issues going on and mm-hmm. so it was nice to see like, like that they that it wasn't just like the one uber like protective alpha male versus like you know the one that, the girl or whatever you know like they both right. had their they bo- they both needed each other and it was very it like i finished reading the last um bit of the book at lunch at work and I'd gone out <laughs> and I was sitting in this restaurant and the, the epilogue of the book made me it made me go aw. and I was like I was like you know choking back like the those the good kind of tears Aww, like yeah this is so sweet <laughs> 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 and and I like you know I was like I can't cry about this in front of all these people in the restaurant or people or they'll be like what is there something wrong with your food no <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. so <laughs> I understand that I mean there have been books that I, I more often laugh aloud at books than cry at books but there have been books yeah. when I just have been tempted to just howl with mirth and I'm in a you know public place and I'm thinking I, I really don't want to laugh out loud over this book in this you know mega public place with all these people around but gosh it's really tempting so yeah, yeah I can understand how you you know showing emotion and everything is is would have been hard but all <laughs> um, so,
1: so then <laughs> then so then after I finished that I wanted more I like I scoured the internet as one does mm-hmm. and I was like you know I kind of like this like college set romance thing I read a, I read a couple of like you know, books featuring straight characters. Um, but I really, I was like, you know, well, if I like this book, what else would I like? And I ran into, ran across this author named Antonino. I think that's how you, that's how you pronounce it. Um, and, and she wrote a book, like she write, she's written this series of college set, um, again, featuring, featuring gay male, gay men romances. Um, there that that are, it's called the the theta Alpha gamma series and the first book has the delightful title <laughs> and, and by delightful I mean in air quotes it's called Frat boy and toppy oh dear God <laughs> <laughs> so I was like okay it's a novella so if I'm if, if I'm not you know like whatever if, if it's like I the reviews looked really good but I was like oh my god that title is terrible <laughs> and so I downloaded it. And it was di- it was different enough from the Heidi in book. The Heidi Cullenin book was, was a little more serious. And this one was trying to be funnier. Mm-hmm. But they both had the sense of, like, of being, like, very contemporary. I totally believed all these characters would absolutely talk the way they did. And, and you know, put in the pop culture references and things like that. But it wasn't, like, overdone pop culture references. It was, like, <laughs> you know... Um, like, oh, you know, this sort of grounds it in contemporary times or whatever. Sure. Um, so, Frat Boy and Toppy <laughs> is about a frat boy named Brad who realizes that he can no longer deny the fact that he's gay and shouldn't even really, really try to stop
0: anymore. Oh, my God. It's Ethan from Greek. <laughs> Wasn't that his name? Did you watch that show? I thought that no. was like it was a cute show. It was it was cute. It was like brain candy. And it was it was about um well fraternity and sorority on a college campus. And what linked them together was, you know, they, they were close in, in friendship, but also the, the one sister was a member of the sorority and then her brother was a member of the fraternity. And there was a gay guy in the fraternity who it was It was an issue of you know letting him in would we would the fraternity let him in, and then he mm-hmm. was kind of like trying to figure out who he was, and that was kind of a subplot, I think his name was Ethan, but I can't swear to it um, but that just reminded me of it <laughs> okay, <laughs> well, sorry to interrupt
1: that's okay. The nice thing about this book was that like like he was already in the fraternity, and mm-hmm. like his conflict is that he's he's a football player, so like you know he's totally a jock oh yeah um and so so like. You know what? Did, what does he do with that? Like how? And and then like you know he's not really interested in in high. Like he's like whatever. Okay, yeah, I guess I'm gay. So now I have now I should should come out. Um, and and like, but then of course it's like, well, he's a jock, so nobody's absolutely nobody's going to believe him that, right. <laughs> that he is in fact gay. And he's got a thing for this the, for one of his TAs, which I think is one of those things that you kind of have to like uh like like give the side eye to you know (laughs) because like whatever if he were really going to be with his ta that would be all kinds of conflict of interest and Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but um (laughs) but whatever for the like the purpose of the story it it worked you know and and like you know so he's trying to he's trying to make this ta notice him and he does. he like he goes about it in, in really hilarious ways and and eventually he 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 and and keeps failing, and eventually he's like, whatever. So he he um, attempts to woo him with, <laughs> with with the skills with the the, the um, um, impressiveness of his writing, except that he really can't. And so he buys <laughs> the paper online and, and turns it into the TA. And the TA's is like, you know what? I'm going to give you one chance to, to to do this over again because obviously <laughs> you you crib this paper and and. Like, it was really handled pretty, it was, it was handled really well. And eventually the two of them do get to, together and it's, like, it was very sweet.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then, um, I didn't read the second book in the series, which was about the, the, the T.A.'s friend, um, who, who was kind of a, kind of a little snarky little jerk throughout the, the first book and the few scenes we had. And I was like, you know, I really don't care about this guy's baggage. Right. <laughs> Can to go on? But there was... There was a character, another frat boy who was um not a jock this time, but he he was staying kind of in the closet for his own reasons and and the third book was about him, and again with the with the dumb titles. This one was called Sweet Young Fang, <laughs> spelled T H A N G. And and so somebody like you know in the the end of the first book, they they're um like they they you know have a membership policy change where they're you know willing to put it in writing that they're welcome you know
0: mm.
1: gay gay people and and um Colin the hero of this third book his uncle is is part of the frats alumni association and he's really kind of not into that and then it turns out other people are not into that and somebody tries to like set the frat house on fire whoa and in in the in in what in like what during that um one of the paramedics that gets called to the scene um ends up meeting Colin and and um like there's they there's obviously an instant connection because this is a romance story and and um and that one was my favorite because I really I don't know they they like both both Colin and Eric the paramedic were just absolutely adorable together and and separately and like they were both It was so sweet and, and very cute. And I feel like it was the kind of thing that was, that was like, like, I can't even say what it, what it was precisely that like, why it was that everything worked so well for me, Mm -hmm. but it absolutely did. And I'm not sure it would work work so well for everybody else that was willing to read that kind of thing, but, um, (laughs) it it was perfect for me. Um, and and I will say that the the, the books are not cheap mm-hmm. <laughs> on the the Kindle store. I've I've like, I've I've tried really hard not to go buying any more of the author's backlist, but like the the um the publisher she she works with is really kind of on the pricier side for an ebook. Hmm. Like the the Sweet Young Thing, I think was almost eight
0: bucks. Wow, which is kind of ridiculous for it <laughs> is especially for one. You saying these are kind of short. Well actually so, that one was more along the lines of a regular
1: sized novel. Oh okay. But the first one was, was like I think it was like 174 pages and mm-hmm. I think it was like 6 bucks. Wow, that is pricey for so, something that's yeah. Short. It like it's it's I I don't regret having spent the money but I'm kind of yeah. You know, like I think I'm just going to have to wait till mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> I get some more money to spend before I buy more. Did of her you read books. other than not to you know, and sure. stem the gushing. But um <laughs> Um
1: other than that, um I read my nonfiction book this past month was was John Ronson's The Psychopath Test. Mm-hmm. Um which I thought was was really interesting. I'm not quite sure I feel like John Ronson is the kind of author that that, that people either will really like or they won't,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, because he's not, like, he He talks about some really interesting subject matter. This one was kind of about psychiatry and how it deals with, with well, psychopaths or sociopaths or whatever you want to call them, mm-hmm. and he's, and I feel like most, most kinds of books like that would be a little bit more dispassionate, like, not have so much about the journalist's own personal reactions. Mm-hmm. And this one was a lot, like, as much about John Ronson as it was anything else. Not that he's a psychopath, but, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, he talks about how basically he's sort of this, like, sort of kind of this dorky guy and mm-hmm. <laughs> very anxious and, you know, and, and like, dealing with psychopaths has, has like, you know, he's like, well, what am I doing? And I don't know. But it, so it's it's really, I, I, I liked it, but I feel like I... <laughs> Um, I'm not really he's got several books on Bard and I mm-hmm. I have um, one more here to read um, but I'm not really sure that I would like go out and yeah. <laughs> read them at once mm-hmm. and let's see the last book I'll mention is I'm, I started reading because after all these like young boys in college I wasn't really <laughs> sure where to go from there And eventually I decided this morning that I should go, like, in a completely different direction. So I started reading Rosemary's Baby. Um, Yeah, that's a completely different direction. That's a very different direction. Plus it's October, you know, why not? And I'm I'm only a couple of hours into it. She hasn't gotten pregnant yet by Mm -hmm. satanic cultists. But... (laughs) Um it's interesting. It's I I feel like it like the plot is is really fascinating and I'm mm-hmm. I'm really curious to see how it's all going to come together. Right. But I don't really like
0: any of the characters. I read the book too and I wasn't thrilled with the characters. I, they just seem like such kind of terrible, shallow people. <laughs> and and they are and that's that's kind of the point of the book, but you'll you'll you move on and figure that out probably. But um it I, I really liked it because I like the plot. I couldn't put the book down. I was read. I read it. I mean, it's a short book. Uh, yeah, but I read I, it I feel relatively like it's quickly. Be, I'll
1: read it today. And then um, I'll
0: there is a sequel called Son of Rosemary that he wrote like thirty years later, that talks about the child that she has because it's no secret that she becomes pregnant by satanic cultists. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean we all know this, right? Without even reading the book. So <laughs> so yeah, so, yeah, so uh, it, it's about her kid that she has. Um, and and the book, the first book ends in sort of an ambiguous way. How is this kid going to turn out kind of thing? And the second book is more about the child, I guess. Uh, and he wrote it 30 years later. I'm not sure if it's really good or not. Um, there was a movie, you know, there was like a second movie also made, and I, I don't think it did well. So that doesn't make me, th- it makes me think the book didn't do so well. Uh, but um, at some point, I am planning to read it. Um, he also wrote the book, The Stepford Wives, which it's it's about um, a woman in a guy a couple who move into this neighborhood and the housewives the men all turn their wives into zombies um and as crazy as the premise sounds I actually really liked the book I thought it was hysterically funny um kind of darkly depressingly scarily funny it it was it had weird humor and it was very interesting yeah um, it seems like he's got a really really he, like good yeah, ear for satire he does I mean. uh but I love his books they're just they're creepy and funny at the same time. And I just, it was, it just the combination really worked for me. Um, and I'm sorry, was that the last book you wanted to mention? Yes. Yeah, so, so what are you reading now? Okay. <laughs> so, so um, okay. The, the, one of the first books I read this month, um, shortly after we finished recording the last episode, was Snowflower and the Secret Fan by Lisa C. Uh, I'd heard a lot of good things about the book, and I'd been wanting to read some of her books uh, for a long time. And this is historical fiction that takes place in China. Um, which is an area of the world that I've always been interested in. And I took a lot of courses in like Chinese literature, which is a really strange thing since I don't know Chinese, but it was, they were really fun. Um, you didn't have to know Chinese in order to take the courses, which made it even more interesting. Uh, and so I did that. And I've, so I've always been interested in that part of the world. And these books were really, it, it was a really good book. Um, I enjoyed it. I thought the narrator was Horrible. Because she was, it was the commercial version, uh, audible version, and she was so dramatic. Oh my God, everything was sad. Even the happy parts. Admittedly, there weren't many happy parts in the book, but she even made them sad. I don't know how to explain it without you listening to it, but it was like she was about to weep. Everything she said was like, weep, weep, weep.
1: Oh God! And I think I think that I the bard version is the commercial version. Actually, yes, it is. So. It is
0: the commercial version. So you're going to get her whether you like it or not. the <laughs> no, one, or, or,
1: or I have it on my on my stream. I just have yeah, it. Yeah.
0: Um. And and I will say for those of you who do not enjoy descriptions of abuse, for lack of a better word, the description of foot binding is horrific. If it was really this way in in ancient, I mean, if it really happened this way, and I've heard that it was accurate. But I don't, I mean, I don't know this for certain, but, uh, oh, my God. I
1: mean, yeah.
0: Oh, it was awful. <sighs> so if that, I mean, and, and you may find it disturbing. Too. And it's towards the beginning of the book. I was able to get past it, but it was just horrible. Just, I mean, to me, just barbaric. Obviously, it's a cultural thing, but, you know, they think that little feet are, you know, they thought that little feet were wonderful. And, and big feet, you know, meant it, you had a lower social status um, if you were a woman. Uh, And they talk about the foot binding and how it affects the women a lot in the book. Um, But it's basically about this woman's life and her best friend. And it it does have sort of a sort of a redemptive type of ending. Um, It was a very sad book. Uh, and I, oh, I won't say that the ending was happy. Uh, I think the author did a good job of making this like life. I mean, you know, these people had very hard lives, and she painted that well. And she also painted, um, you know, the real positive things about their lives that happened really well, too. Uh, so I think um, it, was a, it was a good book, and I'm glad that, that I did read it. Read it. Um, my next book that I read, which was certainly peculiar, was called Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children uh, by Ransom Riggs. And it was his first novel. Uh, published this year, actually. And it was on Bard. And it's about this, this kid, it's a sort of a young adult teenage novel. So of course, it has that teenage angst in it, like this, this kid's like, my life is so boring, you know, I want more interesting life. And he was really close to his grandfather, uh, who said that, you know, during World War Two, he lived in this house. um, In England, he was taking refuge from the Germans, because he was a a Polish Jew, and he, he was on the run. And he went into this house and he lived in this house with all these fairy tale characters in it you know well not fairy tale characters but like fairies and he would Mm -hmm. you know he told his grandson all these things and so when his grandson was little and so when his grand when his grandfather dies which happens at the beginning of the book the kid who is now like 15 or 16 uh goes off to try and find out what was going on with his grandfather you know when his grandfather was a teenager um and if he really did live in a house with fairy tale characters in it or not you know people with special abilities and finds that he did um and that these people it's like this book is like groundhog day on steroids um these these Children are trapped in this time loop because the people who are in charge of keeping them safe feel it's the best way to do that. They have all these you know, p- strange abilities, like this one boy can be invisible, um, this other girl can levitate, stuff like that. Uh, and so the kid finds them, uh, stumbles into the time loop, finds out he's got some peculiar abilities of his own. Uh, but the time loop means that the kids stay, A, young, and B, live the same day over and over again. They don't repeat the same events, but it's the same day over and over again. And so, um, you know, I'm giving a lot of spoilers away here, but uh, the end of the book is, is pretty much a cliffhanger. So it leaves me thinking there are going to be more in this series. I'm not sure if I'm going to try them out or not. It was cute. But, and and parts of it were sort of funny. <laughs> Um, but it didn't really, it didn't really interest me so much that I couldn't put it down or, you know, mm-hmm. and if I want to read a, and if I'm in a series, uh, it's going to be something that really grabs me. Um, so the next book, let's see. Uh, I did, I was in needing, in need of some comforting, um, a week ago and had recently got off of an Anne Rule binge that I'll get to in a second when I get to my nonfiction um the next book I want to talk about um is one of our is a reread because I actually reread uh Anne of Green Gables um I love that book it's one of my favorites of all time (laughs) before even reading the book for the first time I saw the movie um the like PBS did this version of Anne of Green Gables they they made it into a movie and they actually um, made a second movie that was not related to the books at all, except for it had her and a couple other characters in it. It was a very different plot from the rest of the books. Um, But I saw both of them. And the girl who they got to play Anne was just fabulous. She was just, I mean, she was perfect for the part. It was amazing. It was a really good movie. Um, And it was shot or filmed on Prince Edward Island. And my parents were watching it with me. And they said that the um, scenery was just beautiful. Uh, and so it really made me want to read the book. So I read the book, and I, you know, I was in high school, and I read it the first time, and I thought, this is such an awesome book. I mean, you know, Bard listed us for grades five to eight or something, but I, I reread it when I need comforting. It's, it's one of my comfort reads, and it just it hit the spot for me. Um, the other books in the series are not quite as fun for me. There are eight. I haven't read them all, but um, that one is, is the most fun. And it's, you know, about an orphan girl who ends up getting adopted by mistake, you know, by these farming folk on Prince Edward Island uh, and her misadventures or adventures, depending on how you look at it. Uh, and it it's a classic, um, just just a plain, you know, classic piece of literature. It's wonderful. Uh, and And at some point I will be reading the biography of the author that there was an authorized biography done of her. And how her experiences, you know, s- these books are somewhat semi-autobiographical. And so it'll be interesting to read, you know, read that in the future. Um, another thing that I read that was quite touching that it may turn into a comfort read for me. I'm not really sure. The book is called The Martian Child, and it's by David Gerald, uh, who's a science fiction writer. And I first read this book as a short story in a, a Nebula Awards finalist collection, Um from the late 1990s. And the story touched me so much that I had to go find the book. It's just the sweetest... I mean, it's absolutely one of the sweetest things I have ever read. I was in just in tears because it was just so sweet. I mean, they were the good tears. Um, this This man who is the author. The author, this is sort of another sort of semi-autobiographical thing, and he says it at the beginning of the story slash book. He made it into a book later, um, with some more events and things, and it's a little bit longer. He says this is sort of autobiographical for me because I adopted a son. Uh and he adopted a son and he wrote a story about it. Um it's fiction though, because a lot of the elements are different, etc. Um, but he adopted this this guy in this in this book story adopts this kid. And the guy is um David Gerald is homosexual. And that, that figures in the story slash book, because at one point the kid wants you know wants to have a mom, and he has to explain to him that well that that's not going to happen. Um, in the story, he doesn't do that. In the book, he goes into some detail with with Dennis the the child um, about how that may not happen in his case, but how he may get a new dad someday. You know that kind of thing. Um, and Dennis believes that he's a Martian. Um, Uh, And and it's his way of coping with his strange, freaky life, you know, because he's eight years old. He's been bounced around to foster homes, um, dealt with physical and mental abuse from foster parents, you know, his whole life, dealt with the effects of fetal alcohol syndrome, you know, on himself. And he thinks he's a Martian. And so the the guy in the book is like, okay, I'll roll with that. You know, if he needs to think he's a Martian in order to cope with, with his hard life, then that's cool with me. And based on his empathy, the, you know, social workers let him adopt this child. Um, and it's just the, you know, the events of, of their lives together and how at one point he actually goes on, you know, to investigate the possibility that, you know, is my child really a Martian? You know, <laughs> uh, what's going on, you know, what's going on here? Why does he believe this? And he, he investigates that. And the book and the story lead to some different conclusions um, and I won't, I won't give away the ending, but um, it's just basically the way that they, you know, get along together um, and build a life together. And it was one of the most touching, sweet, um, happy things that I've read in a long time. I've read some of his other work, and he has a very simple writing style that's at the same time very elegant. And it's just, I mean, I just love his stuff. And it's a shame that not more of it is on board. Uh, that, the simple, the, the Martian child, I think, and he may have another thing on Bard, but um, the other things of his that I've read were not on Bard, and, and they're, they're wonderful. And he talks about them in the book, and you to think, you know, to hear him talk about them, uh, you'd think, what? That sounds stupid. But it's actually, um, a lot of what he writes is very profound, um, and has, you know, he makes some really profound, wise points in a very simple, elegant way. Uh, he also wrote the Star Trek episode, Trouble with Tribbles, <laughs> that's how he got started, uh, you know, in his younger days. Um, And that was, you know, the first thing he he really ever wrote. And he wrote, you know, some screenplays, I think for Twilight Zone and and other other Star Trek episodes as well. Um, So it was very cool. And the last thing I will mention is the Anne Rule craze I got on and read like three of her books in quick succession. They're true crime uh, novels. Well, no, they're not novels, really. They're like, they read like novels, but they're nonfiction. Um, she was a police detective in Seattle for a while, uh, a long time ago, and or in Washington or somewhere. I think it was Seattle. And so uh, she stopped doing that when she started to have a family. And after a while, she turned to writing um, and has written lots of books about cases all over the country, most of which involve murder, because let's face it, we all love to read a good murder story. Um, And the book that I'm mentioning is called Stranger Beside Me. And it's about her discovery that a man that she knew, uh, they worked at a suicide prevention hotline together as volunteers. A man that she knew from there and became close friends with, as a result of meeting him there, was a serial killer. We are talking about none other than Ted Bundy. Wow. Yeah, it was a very... uh, Very interesting book. And as more and more evidence mounted against him, it was about, you know, basically her conflict. What should she do? Um, Should she still remain friends with him despite all of these horrific things that he did? Oh, it was just fascinating. And she has a way of bringing you into the story and keeping you there. And it's not just with this book. It's with anything that I have read of hers. It's the same way. I mean, you know, you can't put these books down um they just you know they keep you there and it's nonfiction, but it read they read like novels and they're wonderful um and for me as a person who doesn't really like much nonfiction because i find a lot of it really dry uh this is not they're very engaging uh novels and and it was a you know it was a several hundred page book but it flew by really quickly um and i highly recommend it Especially uh, if you do like if you do like that genre, a lot of people uh, and and they're correct when they say a lot of true crime is kind of dry, but um, her books definitely are not. So I would recommend them. So after I did all of my gushing, a lot of which was unplanned, <laughs> by the way, um, we can talk about our wonderful news items. Yes.
1: And speaking of true crime, well, this is a terrible se- segue, but <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. Um. <laughs> Speaking speaking of people who write things that are engaging, or at least people say that they are, I haven't ever read him, Tom Clancy has died.
0: Yeah, he died at the age of 66 um, in Baltimore. Uh, not really sure what he died of, but he was a very interesting character because he was, and you know, in, in his own right, because he was an insurance salesman who just wanted to be in the military, but he was so, he was nearsighted, and so he couldn't. Um, he ended up writing military novels and a lot of the military people navy especially were amazed at how accurate these novels were uh despite the fact that he did not have access to classified documents uh and a lot of the novels of course are sort of about classified things i guess i've never read him uh similar to whoops i'm sorry about that um similar to shannon i've never read him but um i enjoyed Uh, reading the article and and may pick up a novel of his, although I'm not really into military, but he died age of 66 a couple of weeks ago after a short illness. Um, Another noteworthy author whom something much more happy happened to her. uh, Alice Munro at the age of 82 has won the Nobel prize for literature. She is a Canadian short story writer, primarily short stories. Um, and she's re- she won the prize. Uh, it was primarily a very uh, shocking experience for her. Um, when you win the prize, you win like what two million Swedish kroner, which is like a million dollars, something like that. Um, she has a very low profile. Apparently, she really wasn't expecting to win. Uh, and her daughter found out before she did, and called well, her at like four apparently. in the morning and woke her up and said, "Mom, you won."
1: <laughs> Apparently there's like this whole like the, the somebody said I haven't I haven't looked at the Twitter timeline, but I guess that there was like some <laughs> some some stuff on Twitter by the Nobel Prize Committee trying to get her on the phone and you know of course they're in Sweden, so it's several hours ahead of, of her
0: in Canada right. Exactly. You know, so, 4.30 in the morning. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, have you read any of her stories? Because, like, I have some collections that I've started to, I mean, I've put them on my to-be-read list, but who knows when I get to them, so.
1: Yeah, same here. I'm really not much of a short story reader. Um, I, I keep thinking I should read more of them, and, and she's got quite a few books um, on Bard, uh, none of which have titles that that come to me at the moment but it like she seems like she's an interesting lady and and has like lots of stuff that you could choose from so Mm
0: -hmm. and her stories are about they're about small town life in canada primarily because that's where she's from uh and they they're about you know human relationships and everything so they seem like something i'd be interested in i just i haven't um checked it out although like i said on my tbr list which is enormous uh, there is yeah. some some Alice Monroe speaking of oh this is a really bad segue, but um speaking of uh, publishing books, which we weren't but we'll say we were uh self publishing has gone up um by about fifty nine percent uh since two thousand and eleven uh especially in the ebook industry so it's getting easier and easier to publish your own work and and they have people like it's really pretty incredible. For I, I keep thinking
1: this is this is the point where I go like lapse into an editorial <laughs> that's like <laughs> tangentially related to the news. But there, here we go. Like I keep thinking that like um, as blind people um, now that now that a lot of us and a lot, I know I know a lot of us don't have access to all the nifty technology, you know, the smartphones or whatever with the Kindle app, but. For those of us that do, it's just really incredible that, that they're like that that you know it's it's easier and easier for us to get the kind of books that we like. Mm-hmm. And I think that so that it's easier and easier for people to put them out there. Now sometimes I think that like doesn't lead to very interesting things. For example, earlier this month there was apparently this whole conversation on Twitter that I missed about the fact that some <laughs> some ladies out of like Texas, I think. We're writing um, and have self-published Dinosaur Erotica. Oh, dear God. <laughs> Hashtag Dinoborn. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, and I I have not personally read. <laughs> but, but, you know, if I wanted to <laughs> within 30 seconds, <laughs> I could have that on my phone. Oh my um, so I, I think I think you know Dino porn aside, I th- I think it's a really good thing. Um, um,
0: yeah, I do think- too. I have a concern that some people, when they self publish, um, you know, they don't have other people. Sometimes they have other people read their things and proofread their things, but some things it seems like are missed. Uh, and and books will come out with some typos in them. I have seen that. Yes, I have too. And so that is a concern that, you know, I I think some people try and, you know, do it too fast and woohoo, I've got a book, you know, and I'm publishing this book. But yet at the same time, you know, there are typos, there are names that are misspelled. Some of the typos are like your computer spell checker didn't catch it, you know, because it's a it's a not a misspelling, but like a grammatical mistake, like form instead of from. Yeah, um, I remember one book, uh, the The woman's name was Elise, and the author referred to her sometimes as Elsie, which means, you know, typo, pebcac, but yeah. you didn't proofread it and, you know, you didn't catch it. So that is something that happens with self-published works, and, and that, you know, that is a concern um, for me as, you know, kind of like a grammar geek that goes all crazy if there are misspellings in anything. Yeah, Um, that, but, but, you know, I, so I understand, but, but I do think it's great that it's becoming easier and easier to exchange information. And that's really what this is, you know, what this is about. Um, The kind of information that that's exchanged, though, it seems like, uh, and, 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 you know, it's, it's faster and faster to do this. Uh, The technology is, is there to do it. Uh, The queen is concerned that this technology is leading to children uh, not reading nearly as much. And, you know, she may have something there. Um, you know, deserting books for technology, essentially, is, is a concern that the Queen has voiced. And um, there have been studies done that suggest that the younger generation, in other words, younger than us, uh, primarily use, primarily read for different purposes uh they're not reading books they're reading text messages or you know using their phones to play games rather than read books with um and you know reading books itself has been declining um so the way i guess similar concerns that people have you know we've got concerns about blind literacy and the ability to read now in the sighted Sphere, they're having the similar concerns with children uh, because you know the children find the visual games and things that they can do with their iPhones and uh, other electronic devices much more appealing than they do you know sitting down to read a book, whether it's an ebook or a paper book. Um, yeah,
1: I think that those are really valid concerns, but I also sometimes wonder if it's a little bit like you know people reacting to how how things technology has changed everything so much and not necessarily um because I think I think that like I mean I I obviously I'm a big proponent that people should read um but I I think that like you know just because I'm not sitting sitting with a physical book in my lap um doesn't mean that I'm not still absorbing information and you know like the fact that I can can buy Dino porn on my phone, <laughs> um, you know, and and have it like like you said, I mean, it, but I I think that's like it's a change. It's not necessarily bad. It's just different than than how things have been done in the past. And yeah. I think that I think I think that the that, that people you know, dec- talking about the death of literacy. I don't think books are going anywhere anytime soon. And I think that, like, as long as people are still reading somehow.
0: <laughs> yeah, I agree. Um, I agree. I think, you know, as long as people learn to read. I think literacy yeah. is so imp- is so important. As long as people learn to read, the way in which they read doesn't really matter all that much. Um, I could go on and on about literacy uh especially blind literacy which is declining uh and how important that is but i won't because we'd be here for another half an hour um (laughs) and you know i mean last month was a really boring podcast and now it seems like we're rambling to make up for it um Um, yes (laughs) so i will not do that um but i will you know speaking of children Uh, And reading uh, tackle our last news story, which was that uh, a New Mexico high school has banned the Neil Gaiman book Neverwhere from its library bookshelves based on one parent's complaint. Wow, isn't that a little overboard? That's a little overboard, yeah. Um, th- it was on a required w- reading list uh, for one of the students, and so she brought it home and was reading it, and her mother said, this is not appropriate for my child to read. I can't believe that the school is having her read it. Uh, Neverwhere, for those of you who don't know, is about a guy who finds out that there's like this secret London under London. Um, Neil Gaiman is a science fiction fantasy author. I just love him to death, but I have not read this book. And... Um, And it's about uh, this guy finds the secret London under London type of thing. And apparently she did not approve of the sexual innuendos and violence in the book. And so in earlier times, when schools were not quite so paranoid, they would take her, you know, you know, things into advisement. I don't think they would have taken the book from the shelves. Uh, The school seems to have reacted quite strongly to one person's complaint Uh, And the principal or somebody from the school even said, this was the only complaint we've ever had about the book, but yet they completely withdrew it from the shelves. So it's just interesting uh, to, you know, feel like, well, freedom of speech is, is something that is such a, you know, kind of like you're protecting one person's, the censorship kind of goes both ways, you know, like you're one person, you're making one person happy, but yet a million other people are are not happy or don't see the problem. And so it seems like they reacted a little bit too precipitously to, you know, one person's complaint. Uh, my guess is they'll probably have the book back on the shelves within a short a short time. Yeah, at least let's hope so. Yeah, and, and it was Banned Books Week a couple of weeks ago, and there is an article that I will put in the show notes because it was so interesting to me. Uh, Fifteen children's books that have been banned in the U.S. at one time or another uh, I couldn't believe it. Some of them are some of my very favorite books.
1: And then, speaking of children's books, we have <laughs> yes. to, we we, have, we saw this story yesterday on Twitter from Book Riot, which is a bookish blog, and it wasn't really newsworthy, but it was this woman's reaction to having read um, Little House on the Prairie, some of the early books, and it was I, the title was something like, um, "Is Paul Ingalls a psychopath?" Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of the psychopath, yes, exactly, exactly. Um, and it was, it was so interesting. It was because I had a lot of the same reactions. Um, one of the points she makes is about how, um, you know, the the Ingalls family doesn't really have any friends. They're just all kind of isolated, you mm-hmm. know, see the relatives once a year at Christmas yeah. or whatever, you know, and that was something that I read a book recently on, on the little house books and how it was kind of this whole, um, like, the, that they were really trying to go for, like, a praise of individual versus society kind of mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like that was kind of a deliberate choice. But it was so, it was, like, it was interesting that that was the, like, because I noticed it, too, when I did mm-hmm. my research. I did that. Review. I did, too. Like, um, well, I would, like, the, the author was mm-hmm. of the blog piece was like, well, you know, if I had to <laughs> live with only my family, and my, I wouldn't have made it past the big woods. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, when I especially when I read Little House on the Prairie, which that's one of my favorite ones, I think, it, because of the isolation, um, I found it so intriguing. And they kept talking about how they would stop in the middle of the prairie and there was like nothing there. And all they would hear would be, you know, a lonely wolf howl or something. And that was it. And that just fascinated me. Like, how could you possibly live that way? it just seems, you know, impossible to me. Now, back then, people did it all the time, I guess, but now we're so used to crowding and overpopulation that um, you know, it seems kind of crazy to us. Uh, and I, and I love the statement of, you know, it, it, pa was a psychopath. And he he you know, the books were always about Pa was bored, so the family went on another adventure and Ma was just the classic enabler. It was great. I, I just love that statement. <laughs> but it's so true. I know. I know. And um You know, and and, and in the later books, they talk about how Paul was kind of sad because they had to, like, you know, live near a town now because the girls needed education. And that made him sad. And he really wanted to go on more adventures, but he couldn't because of the family and, you know, (laughs) that kind of (laughs) thing. And so, yeah, um, we just had to include that in in our stories because I think you notice things on rereads of books that you would never notice um, at, you know, at first blush. Ooh, great segue into our homework, by the way, The Dark Angel (laughs) by Meredith Ann Pierce, because I noticed things on rereading this book that I did not notice when reading it the first time. And Um, what were those things, (laughs) Erin? Now, let's talk about, before I talk about what I noticed, let's talk about your opinion of the book, because you had not read it before.
1: I had not read it before. And I, I thought it was interesting. I liked that it was, it was like, A little bit of sci-fi, like, snuck into my fantasy. Right. Um, A little, like, chocolate and peanut butter, you know? Mm, Yum. (laughs) Um, But I liked that it was, was, like, a very fantasy setting, but it was also, like, set on the moon. Mm -hmm. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. Um, I think that... (sighs) like it's it's interesting to me that the that like how different because the book was written in the 80s and i keep thinking about how if we if it had been written today like there would have been a whole lot more um emphasis placed on on like how 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 the dark angel was both sexy and evil like there was plenty of emphasis on that already but i feel like they would have like today's audiences like we would have been hit over the head with it
0: yeah i agree <laughs> i think the um you know, the, the elements of, you know, especially the the erotic elements were, were very subtle, because she was trying, I mean, this book was written for young adult audiences, primarily, yeah. you know, and, and you know, particularly like the teenage girl scene, you know, whatever, but uh, and, and so she had to be pretty subtle about it. But I think, yeah, I think even today, uh, you would have been hit over the head with that a lot more. And the last
1: thing I wanted to say was that, that Pen Darlin was the best character oh. ever. Oh
0: yes, because who does not love a talking lion? Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> I mean like the whole Narnia, Aslan thing, and the Wizard of Oz with the cowardly lion, yes. and yeah, it was Woo-hoo! just a, he was so perfect. I loved him. Yeah, and and that was that was wonderful. And and in the in the in the later books, the second of which is not on Bard, which is such a bummer. Um, you meet more of the lawns, and they're all equally awesome. Um, but yeah, I. I first read this book, I have the whole trilogy um, as a hardback volume. And I first read this when I scanned it myself. And I was like, it took me a few pages to realize they were on the moon. I was like sun and the stars in the sky together. I don't quite understand. What's up with that? You know, Um, but... Uh, I thought that it was, you know, fascinating, especially when I, when I took into consideration the fact that, you know, this was about people who were living on the moon thousands of years after it had been, you know, terraformed, uh, and made into its own ecosystem. Uh, and I thought, you know, how beautiful and, and some of the, you know, descriptions of the flowers and, you know, animals were very imaginative and very elegant, like, um, those flowers you know and the, and the ritual for for like the bridal cup you know where you had to go and yeah. gather the, the nectar from the from each individual flower petal cup that was just it was just beautiful and and such a wonderful ceremony uh but that wasn't what i noticed on the reread that um i wanted to talk about i remember reading your uh book review that you posted you know you had mixed reservations about the, the, the dark angel or the vampire in this book and and how, you know, Ariel saw the goodness in him, but you really didn't see it. And when I first read it, I really didn't see it either. I was like, okay, she's just being naive, you know, and she got lucky. But when I reread it again, um, there were some hints that he wasn't, you know, completely beyond retrieval. I, I, I uh, you know, the whole thing with the, um, you know, snapping the wings off the bats, yeah um and 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 that was just you know appalling, but he he wanted to hear stories, and I thought, Wow, that's so interesting that he's taking an interest in her, however you know however slight and and he's bored and wants something to occupy him, better stories than snapping the wings off of bats uh and then you know she's talking about the 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 you know the story of the prince and the the lake you know throwing the prince into the lake
1: mm-hmm. and
0: it seems like he was trying to um, he was trying to bury a memory of you know being that prince and going through that experience and that he was trying really hard to bury you know memories of his childhood uh, and and the the whole chapter with him like having all those insane dreams and everything you know those waking dreams it was another you know hint to me that Oh, maybe not lost for him. You know, he still remembers his youth at least well enough to to have it kind of torment him. Yeah. And that kind of made me think that, you know, he wasn't you know, his soul wasn't completely irretrievable. Uh and so I, I think there were sort of subtle hints of that of that goodness, and I think, you know, as the character in the book, she she probably, you know, saw those too. Um but I just I just love that book and it's so imaginative and so i mean if you want hardcore science fiction with emphasis on the science this is not the book for you no Uh, because there's so much fantasy and magic in it but it's it's such a wonderful combination of the genres admittedly more on the fantasy than the sci-fi but um you know there's there's talk of genetic engineering in there and there's talk of you know terraforming the moon and admittedly couched in all of these sort of mythological magical terms uh and as you go into through the series you get more of that um the third book was actually really fascinating because that's where they discuss about how it all kind of happened um and uh and that is on board. The second is not. But, um,
1: <laughs> the if, second one's on Bookshare. Yeah, so I if, if you want to read
0: the second one, it's called The Gathering of Gargoyles. You kind of need to read the second one in order to read the third one. Um, because these, you know, there are events in the books that kind of, they build on each other to a, a large extent. The third one is um, The Pearl of the Soul of the World. And and that is on BARD. Hopefully the second will be soon, provided that our government opens back up again at some point. <laughs> Eventually. The sandbox fight continues for those yes. of you who are not U.S. residents. I'm sure you know this. Uh, but I, you know, I really enjoyed this. It was a super short, um, easy read. I thought that the prose was very, very simple and elegant at the same time. Um, it was. And this was her first novel. <sighs> um, she wrote it in college, actually basing it on a portion of Carl Jung's autobiography that she read, where he talked about a patient who had this, kept having these dreams that women were being abducted by by vampires. Uh, And she found it so fascinating that she decided to write a book about it, um, and brought the moon into it and, and, you know, some other things. And it made me think about, um, I guess, maybe one of the reasons that I loved the book so much is because when I was in high school, I had a dream It was a very, one of those very like vivid detailed dreams that you have that you, you know, just always remember that um, I was on the moon and like fell in love with this man on the moon. It was a weird, I mean, it was, it sounds hysterically funny when you talk about it, but it was a very like really romantic dream with a lot of vivid detail in it. Um, And, you know, we were on the moon and it had like craters and stuff, but it was also a breathable atmosphere. It was crazy. Um, And it affected me so much that I actually did write a story about it at one point it was definitely not publishable material. Um, But I think that's why I enjoyed this book so much, because it reminded me of that dream that I had, you know, way back when, Um, probably when I was about Ariel's age, actually. Uh, So so I liked that. And and there were so many things in this book that were, it, it was so magical and so wonderful. The spindle is just I just found that so fascinating. Yeah, the spindle, I, the emotional spindle.
1: The emotional <laughs> spindle, yes. I I think that I I had some. I really wasn't sure what I thought about the book after I finished it, but I feel mm-hmm. like as I've thought about it more, I I the more I think about it, the more I really liked it. Mm-hmm. Um, I I loved that. I at, at first I really thought that Ariel was was a bit of a um, I mean, she's always falling into swoons. Yeah. <laughs> <when laughs> But but, I love that she eventually like she grows into somebody that's that's capable of having adventures and of mm-hmm. standing up to the vampire and doing what's right and sticking by her principles and she's not um like if there's a lot of there's a lot of like really quietly um sort of subtle like character growth that happens mm-hmm. to her and and also, I liked that um. Here's the requisite spoiler. Um, I I liked that the end was. I mean, it was really romantic. Like they, they it was such a romantic ending. But oh, like, they're going to go thing. off and have more adventures. They're not going to like sit there and get married. And and like, I feel like there's going to be a lot more to their to the the budding romance between Ariel and, and laugh Um, in 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 future books, than than like she could have just left it there you know mm-hmm. like oh you're so beautiful thank you for saving me from like the wicked witch of the west you know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah yeah um yeah. And, and like you know the adventure part was so awesome like i said i mm-hmm. i loved i loved that that it was it had that very like um it, it had like a very sort of like i don't want to say like like children's fantasy exactly because it's not what I mean but it's so, like it had sort of like a Narnia type of feel to
0: it where it really you know, did you're right
1: like the magical creatures and the the like the the dwara um who was another awesome character and of course the the pen the Pendarlin, and you know like and it was it was just very and I liked that that um that it wasn't one of those books where like the women were um Sort of like, you know, secondary characters. Like, I like that the leader of the desert people was a woman. And Mm -hmm. I like that, like, one of the major antagonists is a woman. And it's not just like, you know, oh, look, all these people of this gender over here Mm -hmm. (laughs) are good and pure. And all these people over there are wicked. (laughs) Are wicked, you know. Mm -hmm. Like, it was really, it was a nice, nice, like mix of gender like you know both both really awesome and cool male characters and really awesome and cool female characters yeah
0: absolutely um so if you want to check out these books you can go to bard and bookshare and possibly audible although i haven't checked there to see if they're no i didn't look either Uh, um and the whole try a young suzanne Torin. yeah very young suzanne Torin. um and the whole trilogy is available uh on amazon uh, dot com. I think they're also in the Kindle store as well. Uh, so plenty of formats to to check out of the Dark Angel, and plenty of formats to check out for our next book. It's the Stephen King month. It is. It's October. It's October, and we are not reading his latest, which is the sequel to The Shining, Doctor Sleep, that did just come out recently.
1: Because that would have been a lot of books to read. Because we would have had to read The Shining
0: first. Yeah. I mean. um, and 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 apparently this book is really long. Uh, the book we have chosen is also really long. But the consolation is, you have October and November to do it, read it in, because we will be back in either late November, or early December, with a short, sweet Christmas read for you. So you've got six weeks to plow through this. This is Under the Dome by Stephen King. Um, And we chose this because it was also a TV series this year. And oh, God, they're coming out with a second season next year. (laughs) Um, And I, you know, I I have these big plans. I had these big plans to like compare the ending of the book to the ending of the series, because apparently there are a lot of differences and I want to check those out. And that's the reason I chose it, uh, you know, or, or you know, offered it for choice, rather, and we both agreed to it. Uh, but um, it, it turns out that I won't be able to compare the endings of the books and, and all entirely because the series decided, or whoever wrote it and did such a terrible, crappy job, decided <laughs> that they want to come out with a second season, Oy uh, which I will probably watch or try to watch. Um this first season, it, it was the acting is just bad. The dialogue is painful. Some of the episodes are better than others. I think the second was actually the worst as far as the dial. I mean, the the writing and, and Rodney, you know, as, as being a visual person could occasionally could tell in some of these episodes that the people when they were acting. I mean, the acting isn't very good, but you can also see their facial expressions going, I really have to say this before they actually <laughs> say whatever it is, because it's just some of the dialogue is just so hokey uh i I did not like the tv series at all but i read it (laughs) for book orders the things i do for my fellow book orders i tell you um or i I watched it for book orders and and may watch the second season but hopefully i'll be able to tell at least some of the differences uh you know between the two Uh, apparently there are a lot and this brought a lot of criticism especially when the series came out and Stephen King did um, express his opinion about those differences, and we'll get to that next time, of course, when we discuss the book more.
1: Yeah. I'm excited because um, there's a young adult series I've been following in which the last book was recently put up on Bard, and mm-hmm. and um, it's the 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 Gone books by Michael Grant. Oh yeah, which have a very similar premise. And I my goal is to finish up that series and then also read Under the Dome and compare and contrast those two because that'd be you know, awesome
0: too. Um, you're better than I am because I just can't. I got through like the first one and a half of those and I can't stomach Kristen Allison. I just can't do it so well, you're, you're i have to put her on uh, i have to put her on very fast <laughs> i i like her reading nonfiction, but i do not like her as a fiction reader and it just yeah it's so dry and like oh and i just couldn't stomach it so i will do the tv series you can do the gone books and we'll <laughs> <laughs> we'll, see we'll go, we go we'll see what where we go uh but um we'll be back and it's a nice sort of um you know, the, the premise is these people are isolated within this dome and how they cope with it. And the Gone books are kind of the same. These people same are isolated within, their within the phase <laughs> and their kids um, and how they cope with being isolated in there. So, um, yeah, I, I liked that series. I mean, I liked the premise of it, but like I said, I got through the first book and part of the second one and just couldn't continue. Although I do have it. I do have all the books downloaded. You know again, my growing t b r pile at some <laughs> yeah. point, I may get to them uh so yeah, at this
1: swore, so <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, exactly, uh, so at this point, that concludes this episode of Book Hoarders Anonymous. We will give our contact details right now yes, um,
1: I am on Twitter as at Song, and um let's see the Oh, I guess I don't give out anything else
0: after that. I'll just let you keep going. Oh, well, okay. Um, I'm Aaron Edgar on Twitter. Of course, you can follow the podcast on the Twitter po- at Book Orders. And then if you want to email us,
1: which nobody has done for a while, um, <laughs> so you should give us some email. Um, it's podcast at gmail.com. Or if you want to go to our website, it's going to be bhapodcast.com.
0: And I should also mention that if you want to check out the Bard mobile app, um, it is in the App Store. And Yay! woohoo! there is a Tech Access demo cast of the Bard app that you can check out that I did. Uh, and you can find it at techaccessweekly.com. And on that note, we, we will. will call it good for another two months. So Yay. enjoy your many hours of reading under yeah. the dome. Absolutely. And take care, everyone, until we see you next time. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. To contact the Book Hoarders, send email to bhapodcast at gmail.com. Follow Book Hoarders on Twitter. Call us at 520-81-books, 520-812-6657. And visit the website at bhapodcast.com.